Bumble last week. A way to refresh yourself and catch up on local news. When it runs, you can listen and connect at HumbleLastWeek.com. Check out Humble Last Week on Facebook for episode updates, local content, and giveaways. And it's rated PG-13? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. My name is Miles Cochran. Episode 85 is thankfully brought to you in partnership with Humboldt Clothing Company. When you want the best quality Humboldt gear and great customer service, your first choice should always be the original Humboldt Clothing Company. Still at the Bayshore Mall in Eureka and at 10th and H in Arcata. Also online, get free shipping on U.S. orders over 50 bucks at HumboldtClothing.com. And Cafe Nooner in Eureka. Experience fresh, good food cooked to order at Cafe Nooner in Old Town and Cafe Nooner 2 in Henderson Center, Eureka, utilizing fresh local ingredients wherever possible. Locally owned and operated by Lorena and Joe Filgus since 2011. Check them out at CafeNooner.com. And Bongo Boy Studio in McKinleyville. Bongo Boy is where many of Humboldt's finest musicians have come to record over the last 16 years. They also manufacture CDs and DVDs for artists, organizations, and filmmakers right here in Humboldt County. On the phone at 707-839-5090 or online at bongoboystudio.com. Well, let's begin. The state has stepped in because Humboldt has an alarming rate of HIV cases. They say at least 35 people here may not know they have it. That number could grow. Getting lots of strange? Get tested. Get jiggy without condoms? Get tested. Share any needles? Get tested. Don't worry about stigma. Nobody's judging. For free testing, call Public Health, 268-2108. It's looking like Arcata voters will decide the fate of the presidential statue on the plaza. Time Standard reports signatures to make that vote happen are being verified. Council voted to take McKinley down, hearing concerns over his racial track record, Fans of the statue say the assassinated fella did more good than harm. Update on this late 2016 murder and carjacking in Manila with five people being tried. Child molestation was an offered motive, an allegation never legally proven. Loco reports mental competency is still being contested for one suspect. Court likely looking at that this week as these defendants in the future will have separate trials. Oh, this is cool. Kim Kemp shared this release about beach wheelchairs for Humboldt and beyond. Big old wheelchairs that can traverse the sand. So great to see our beaches accessible to more people in the community. You can borrow them free of charge. I shared a link with numbers you can call for reservations for some Humboldt beaches at HumboldtLastWeek.com. Oh, this is grim. There was that woman screaming for help from a moving car up in Trinidad. Eventually, sheriff's office arrested her boyfriend for attempted murder and kidnapping. Serious stuff. They say they learned this guy was assaulting her while driving. Yikes. A respected muckety-muck with the radio station KHSU was surprisingly let go. Katie Whiteside was with the station for over two decades. Reasoning behind this has been hush-hush and people are bummed. The newish manager responded to rumors telling Loco he's not changing the programming. So how about the guy fresh out of bail for child molestation who's brought in again for child porn? Innocent until proven guilty, but many expressed alarm that this Eureka guy was already out. Ferndale native and celebrity chef Guy Fieri was on Jimmy Fallon last week. Dude taught Jimmy the right way to eat a hamburger. And in this segment, he said he's working on a special, tracking down how restaurants that have been featured on his shows have grown. Probably a decent chance that some of Humboldt's eateries could be involved in that. We'll cross our fingers. There's this guy who is said to stop a couple from ganking his car down the road from the Eureka Inn. 
Dude heard his car start, so he ran out and had help nabbing this guy. Chick took off, but EPD eventually brought him both in. Good work, officers and car owner. Get by with a little help from your friends. Wild one. Cops in Eureka said this guy dangerously evaded cops in a stolen car, hit a parked car, took off on foot. Chief Watson then posted this. Officers held him at gunpoint. Idiot then reached for and tossed a concealed replica handgun for which he could have been justifiably shot. Amazing restraint by the officers involved. End quote. This is Humboldt Last Week. Miles here with Eureka Police Chief Steve Watson. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Miles. Glad to be on your show. Hey, happy to uh, chat with you. So let's jump to the question that's on everyone's mind. As a police chief with the name Watson, when chatting with detectives, do you ever just want to call him Sherlock Holmes? Uh, I'd be lying if I said that uh, that didn't pop into my mind from time to time. It would help if I had doctor in front of my name. Right, right. I can see I could be tempted. You know, it's a great law enforcement name. But in all seriousness, you know, Eureka has gotten some national attention over the years for its surrounding nature and the stunning architecture. But this recent New York Times piece, you know, some keywords that come to mind after reading it are drugs, homelessness, crime. You have no easy task. Uh, what are your thoughts and takeaways from this piece? Well, certainly that's not the kind of reputation that we want to have here. You know, Eureka is not defined by the sum of our problems. There's a lot more to our beautiful community. And what I feel, along with many others that read that article, is that it was unbalanced. It felt like the author had a script or a narrative that they wanted to follow, and that was all that they were going to report on and all that they were going to see when they visited here. And it ignores the many good things also taking place in our community. Uh, for example, the new six-and-a-half-mile-long beautiful waterfront trail businesses coming into our community and changes down in the old town district and so on and so forth. At the same time, um, you know, the article does touch on some very real issues that we have in our community. And in fact, Eureka isn't alone. This is a problem all up and down the West Coast and other communities across the nation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that comes to mind after reading this piece, you know, you see some stuff in there about Hatcher, a uh, needle exchange program, just one of many here in the county. Um, how do you feel they came across in this article? You know, I always try to assume good intentions, uh, you know, and I've met with a number of, of members of Hatcher, and I do think that they're genuinely caring people, but they also have a very clear mindset uh, or bias about, um, you know, the work that they do and the need. And the challenge for me is, while I can recognize, and I think many people that I've spoke with in our community can recognize that there's a real need for interventions in our community due to our high infectious disease transmission rates uh, with hepatitis C, for instance, opioid death rates around five times higher, they say, than the state average. And that's that I mean a significant problem like in many communities. So those are all real issues and people can wrap their head around the idea, you know, that maybe there's a place for a well-managed but accountable syringe exchange program to help get those rates down. What they don't accept and can't accept and neither can I is the unintended fallout of our streets, our parks, and our green belts being inundated uh, with a flood of needle litter. That if so many needles are being distributed, that they essentially lack a value almost, and they're getting tossed or left on the ground, that's a problem. And we need to find a responsible balance where we apply the best practices that work for our community, not necessarily San Francisco or other communities, but for Eureka and Humboldt County, 
to try to reduce those infectious disease rates while at the same time not endangering the rest of the public or at least giving them the perception of danger and a lack of safety because they see needles wherever they walk. So we've got to do something to change that around. Yeah, you know, nobody would disagree that we have these issues, but a lot of people have different ideas about how to combat them. Um, You know, and the five words that come up a lot when it comes to a lot of this stuff are not in my backyard. You know, for example, the city and Betty Chen are looking for a place for a low-income trailer village, and folks nearby uh, for one of the proposed locations, they were a bit hesitant. You know, what do you want to see happen in situations like that? Well, like they say in real estate, location, location, location is everything. And and we have struggled with this for years as we've explored, and I'm talking about the city of Eureka and our, our partners, including the county, as we've explored appropriate locations for things like a day center, a temporary overnight sleeping facility, Betty's uh, homeless villages for transitional housing and things of that nature. And location is constantly a challenge. There almost is no single good right location. It's not going to have some associated issues, concerns, especially for surrounding businesses and neighbors. So that is all ever present in my mind because I get that. Um, people are going to be protective of their own. They want peace and safety and a lack of problems in, in their homes and in their businesses. And I fully understand that. At the same time, there is a real need for stable housing in our community. Uh, the city and the county adopted a housing first model to address homelessness several years ago. And that still appears to be ultimately a best practices approach. Uh, if you wait for someone to get sober, to get off drugs, to get stabilized with their mental health issues, then try to find them housing, it's much more likely to be unsuccessful than if you can get them into a stable environment and then continue to address those issues. And so with the lack of affordable housing in our community and the lack of options, programs like Betty Chin's Blue Angel Village and its 2.0 version that's being proposed with those uh, PG&E trailers, I think fills a vital gap. And uh, this comes back to implementing it the right way, having open communication with the public and addressing their concerns, making the most of the best location we can find, and being very proactive about quickly dealing with any issues that come up. Yeah, you know, she's always said these are the people that want a better life, you know, and they'd be supervised 24-7 at this site. And, yeah, the Crowley site is uh, the spot that they were looking at for it, south of the mall, kind of near the trail. Do you think that's one of the best locations in Eureka for this place? Well, unfortunately, from the conversations I've sat in on, it was one of the only locations. Um, So not a perfect location, but better than pretty much the other options. We would really like to see this in the county. Somewhere still centrally located, um, you know, because of access to services. But people in Eureka are getting tired of everything being located here. I mean... You know, we're the county seat, the epicenter for commerce, government services, and all of that. The only county jails here, the major medical complex, the only mental health facility, social services office, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's all in Eureka, which is one of the reasons we see the influx of homeless that we do. And to share the love a little bit and see that outside the city uh, and maybe not one of our neighborhoods would be desired. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. Meanwhile, making the best of the situation, if we could get 44 people off the streets into stable housing, have it run 
the way that, that Betty's reputation has been over the years, meaning very well with accountability and responsive to the issues. So in my experience, it would be a very low impact, low problem area, I think could be very beneficial to the community. What again is key is communicating with the neighbors that are impacted, addressing their concerns, taking steps so it's not an eyesore and does not have any negative impact on that beautiful trail that goes by it, for instance. Um, I also think the consensus is that if it were to go there, the south location is preferred over the north, even though it'd be a lot more expensive for the city. So kind of switching gears here a little bit, there's this initiative that the state could vote on in November, the Keeping California Safe Act of 2018. Um, It aims to be tough on crime. And I saw that you had supported that along with the sheriff. You know, what are your thoughts on that initiative and what other ideas do you have about bringing down the number of repeat offenders here? Well, first of all, I want to say, you know, I brought that to the Eureka City Council early after the California Police Chiefs Association sent out uh, information to all of their members, you know, nearly 400 chiefs of police in California asking uh, that we do that. And so I was very pleased that our city council uh, quickly moved to be one of the very first municipalities in the state, to my knowledge, that passed a resolution in support of the initiative. Um, I think it's vital. Um, It's important that people understand that it doesn't seek to overthrow AB 109 and Propositions 47 and 57. Rather, it takes uh, some common sense approaches to correct some of the fatal flaws in those initiatives. Um, For instance, uh, giving us the opportunity to begin collecting DNA again from certain offenses that we used to be able to do so and now no longer can because they were reduced to misdemeanors. That's important for solving cold cases like these serial killers and homicides and rapes um, to bringing back, um, uh, you know, petty theft with a prior when you commit your third offense of $250 or more in value stolen gives us more tools. And so I do think the Reducing Crime and Keeping California Safe Act is important. Uh, really what we want to do is get enough support and signatures of registered voters to get it on the November ballot. And then all of California can take the time to investigate and study and educate themselves on the initiative and make an informed decision. Because This is what happened. Um, AB 109, Propositions 47 and 57, all use the word safety in their titles to make voters believe they're about increasing public safety. The reality is any cop will tell you that was not always the actual result. And these ill-conceived laws have led to a series of unintended consequences, which have functionally made our communities less safe. Uh, You see violent crime increases across the state, property crime increases in many cases. When you look at it holistically over a several year period, uh, Humboldt County's violent crime rate was up last year. And um, we firmly believe that the unintended consequences from these initiatives played a big role in that. Uh, repeat habitual offenders uh, that maybe used to go to state prison eventually, or at least did some significant time in the local jails, no longer spend that time in jail. And so there's a lack of fear of consequences. Um, the jail only has so much room. The county jail is full because AB 109 shifted the supervision and uh, incarceration of these offenders from the state prison system back to the local jails. And that created, again, a lack of space. And so someone maybe picked up for serial shoplifting no longer does any time in jail for the most part. Uh, They may not even spend an hour in there in some cases, and certainly they're not going to serve any kind of significant uh, sentence out locally because, again, there's just not space. 
And uh, that's unfortunate because now our communities are reaping the consequences of that. These are crimes of opportunity, um, offenders that literally roam our streets looking for opportunities uh, to take what is not theirs from you. And if they don't fear consequences, if they're left to roam the streets, um, they're going to continue to commit these crimes. So we need a way to break that cycle. And we can get into the substance abuse side and mental health side and all of that. That's really not our role in law enforcement. Uh, we would love to arrest these people. We'd love to love to throw some more handcuffs at it and actually get these people off the street for a period of time. But unfortunately, when we make those arrests, that doesn't happen for the most part. And that's discouraging. And this initiative can help turn that around. Now, it's not going to create more jail space. So it's not going to be perfect. It's just an incremental step in the right direction. Right. So, you know, say the Keeping California Safe Act of 2018 goes to voters, they pass it. We expand the jail. We have more mental health services. Um, you know, those uh, rehabilitation dollars are still there. Is your job easier in a couple of years or a few years? Well, certainly the kind of substantial change that is needed isn't going to take place in two years. It's going to take more time than that. But again, if we can move the needle, no pun intended, in the right direction, begin to make some positive incremental changes to right some of these wrongs, um, to provide some relief, that's really important. Uh, we certainly need more mental health services and substance abuse services in the state of California, uh, including residential treatment programs. Uh, there's simply not enough. And if you want to tackle many of the underlying causal factors holistically, these areas need to be addressed. For now, I'd be very happy to see the sheriff able to increase his services and, and bed space at the local jail. Um, we've talked about this before and both think that some kind of sheriff's minimum security uh, jail farm uh, would be hugely beneficial because many of these lower level offenders that wouldn't qualify for state prison and maybe would not best be served in the county jail because we need space for the more serious offenders. They could be part of these programs, you know, locked down at night and during the day, putting their hands to meaningful work, receiving services, uh, but also, you know, kind of taken out of play where they're not roaming the streets and committing crimes. So there'd be some consequences for their action, um, but maybe also some rehabilitation at the same time. That's going to take tens of millions of dollars, but it's a vital need up here. And that would help uh, substantially with some of the issues that we're seeing. I would look at spending some of my tax dollars on that. So, you know, is there anything else that you'd want to mention, Chief Watson, before we wrap up? Uh, you know, again, we could talk for an hour about the Reducing Crime and Keeping California Safe Act uh, and what it does uh, and certain problems with the existing laws right now. I would encourage people to go online at keepscalsafe.org, educate themselves. Uh, remember, if we can get it on the ballot, then you have a choice to vote either for or against it in the fall. And I encourage people to do that. Um, the one other thing that I would add is, you know, law enforcement's placed in a difficult position today of doing what I call policing the gaps. And that's the gaps in services and holes where there's really no one else to send or there's not other existing resources better suited to address those issues. And many of these gaps are areas that we're not resourced for, staffed for, funded for, or trained for. But because there's no one else, law enforcement has to stand up step in the gap and deal with these kind of situations. And that's exceedingly challenging and frustrating for our men and women. And you couple that with a negative national narrative about law enforcement and it's causing many young people to no longer pursue careers in this noble profession. Um, you run into a recruiting and retention crisis, which many of us are facing. 
But one thing that it has been very meaningful to us here locally is we've really felt a tremendous amount of community support for our police department. People understand that while we're flawed and we're not perfect, by and large, we're well-intentioned. We work hard. We do the best that we can with what we have. We care about our community. And um, they don't lay the blame for many of these problems like homelessness upon us, um, which not only is the right thing to do because it's, it's not our problem and we're really not equipped to deal with it, but uh, what's really meaningful is the level of support that they've shown and understanding. It means more than I could ever say on this program to our men and women to know their community supports them. And in turn, you know, we care about our community and want to do the best job that we can. And we do firmly believe um, that the police are the public and the public are the police, that it takes a whole city to police one. We need each other. And um, these partnerships and these collaborative relationships and the public trust, which is our lifeblood, is so vital um, to our success in our community and moving Eureka in a positive direction. And um, I would add that final thing in counter to that New York Times article. Yes, we have real problems that we need to deal with. We're not sticking our heads in the sand over that, but there's some wonderful things happening in this community as well. Um, I just had a chance to meet a couple that visited Eureka three times over the last about three years, including uh, before and around the time that the uh, Devil's Playground, that large homeless encampment in the marsh was vacated. And they made a deliberate choice to move to Eureka. And they told me they could see what Eureka was like back then, um, you know, see what it, it looked like right after many people were dispersed around the city when the marsh was cleared out and still chose to come here because what they experienced when they visited, what they read online, they felt that Eureka's blessings, the good things happening, the beauty of the area um, was greater than some of our problems. And, and they chose to move across the country and come out here. And in fact, just arrived a couple months ago. That's the kind of stories that I want to hear. I, I do believe Eureka has a future. We do have challenges like much of the rest of the state, and we're going to have to deal with those. But there's a lot of good reasons to come here and stay here, and people shouldn't forget about that. Right on. Well, you had mentioned, you know, spending an entire episode on the Keeping California Safe Act of 2018. Maybe before November, if we're going to vote on it, maybe we can chat again then. This is Humboldt last week. Miles here wrapping up a chat with Eureka Police Chief Steve Watson. Thank you again so much for your time. You're welcome, Miles. Take care. I want to thank the episode partners one more time. Humboldt Clothing Company. Find them at HumboldtClothing.com. Cafe Nooner in Eureka at CafeNooner.com. And Bongo Boy Studio. Find them at BongoBoyStudio.com. They make this show possible. Again, my name is Miles Cochran. I have journalism and radio experience. Created Humboldt Last Week for fun because I love this place. You can head to HumboldtLastWeek.com to listen and connect and discover new music. Right now, you can check out new songs from Melv, The Fame, and Iron Tom.
Again, new stuff from Melv, The Fame, and Iron Tom. Full songs and Spotify playlist at HumboldtLastWeek.com. Just click on new music. You can contact me if you have any thoughts about what you heard or what you want to hear. I'll be taking a couple weeks off for vacation. Looking forward to hanging out again soon. Bye. Humble. Black. Week.